Hey guys, welcome to the next episode of Dad Up, the podcast show for dads about dads being dads. I'm your host, Brian Ward, and I hope you had a nice Thanksgiving. Thanks for listening to this show. I really appreciate the feedback I've received about the show. They've been great, so please keep them coming. If you haven't done so yet, please make sure you subscribe to the show so you don't miss anything. And also make sure to rate the show and share it with others. I would really appreciate it. With that being said, I'm super excited about my next guest on Dad Up today. I've been getting to know this awesome guy over the last couple months, and I'm thrilled he agreed to take some time out of his busy schedule to chat with me for a few minutes on Dad Up. Shea Hillenbrand is a former Major League All-Star player, baseball player. Uh, he played for teams like Red Sox, Diamondbacks, Blue Jays, Angels, and Dodgers. He graduated from Mountain View High School and attended Mesa Community College. In 1994, he played for Mesa Thunderbirds and chalked up accolades such as First Team All-American and also Arizona Community College Athletic Conference Player of the Year. Shea was drafted by the Red Sox in 1996 and became a 2002 and 2005 All-Star. However, at the top of his game and about to go on to sign a multi-million dollar contract, he retired from baseball to make his family and his children a priority. Shea Hillenbrand is an all-star player in his local community as well. In 2004, Shea wanted to give back to his community by donating the Shea Hillenbrand Field to the Boys and Girls Club of Chandler, Arizona. In 2008, Shea founded the All Against All Odds Foundation with a mission to assist athletes of all ages with life transitions through preparation, inspiration, and education, as well as to inspire kids from many backgrounds through baseball. He is now a nationally recognized motivational speaker, uh, speaking at schools, large companies, and even prisons. In addition to that, he also trains baseball coaches. In addition to these accomplishments, Shea also founded a baseball academy in Mexico. Please pay close attention because Shea shares his truly remarkable and emotional story of the challenges he faced through his life and his baseball career. He also shares his journey being a dad and how he is using some of the tools he learned in life to help lead his five kids. It is an honor and pleasure to welcome Shea Hillenbrand to Dad Up. Well, Shea, thank you very much for being being uh, being on the show with me. I really appreciate you uh, taking the time out of your day to uh, just um, tell me a little bit about yourself and uh, share some experiences about being a dad. Yeah, absolutely. I love the opportunity. Thank you so much. I'm, I feel super honored. Great, great. For those of you that don't know, uh, uh, the gentleman I have on the call is Shea Hillenbrand, a uh, former uh, Major League Baseball player and All-Star. Shea, why don't you do me a favor and just uh, tell my listeners a little bit about yourself, a little bit about your story. <laughs> uh, that's hard That's hard to say, you know what I mean? So, uh, you know, I grew up in Southern California, a uh, diehard Dodger fan. And when I was 14, months, or 14 years old, uh, my dad came into my room and I was sitting on my bed. And uh, he proceeds to tell me he's going to uproot the family from Southern California to the hot desert of Arizona. And this was like right before my sophomore year of high school. So uh, when he left the room, the story I told myself was, I'm not lovable, I'm not good enough, and my dad doesn't love me. Because how can you uproot me from my family, my friends, and my, my community of friends and sports, and just rip me out of that because that's where I found my solitude. Right. See, when I grew up, I really didn't have a, the best relationship with my father. I, uh, he kind of, uh, he was like a white knuckle. He always yelled. He always, uh, you know, it was tough. He, he was tough for him to show love. It's kind of like a generational curse. Uh, and I carried that through, you know, pretty much my whole career. 
And, you know, up until now, I'm still battling it myself uh, at 44 years old. So uh, when I reluctantly left all my friends from beautiful Southern California and moved to the hot desert of Arizona, I decided to become a little uh, overachiever through athletics because that's where I found my solitude. So by the time I finished high school, I was actually the number one soccer player in Arizona in high school. I had chances to play in Europe. I had chances to play at universities. But my childhood dream, being a diehard Dodger fan, was to play Major League Baseball. So I, my only option was to walk on at a local kid college here in Arizona, and that was uh, is Mesa Community College. And the only reason I made that team is my work ethic. I was the first guy there and the last guy to leave. And in three years, I became the number one baseball player at the junior college level in Arizona. And with that being said, I got drafted by the Boston Red Sox. Wow. And the craziest thing is, the funniest thing is, is when, when I grew up in Southern California, like I said, I was a diehard Dodger fan. So the consistency of a diehard Dodger fan in the 1980s is you show up in the third inning, you leave in the seventh inning to beat traffic, and you listen to Vince Scully on the radio. So my mom would always take my best friend and myself to the Dodger games to the third deck. I'd have my nachos in one hand, my malt chocolate malt in my other hand, and I'd sit there and I'd make my dream become tangible. So the first thing I'd discuss because I do motivational speaking, I don't know if you could tell, but uh, the first point I touch on is you got to make your dream become tangible. You have to engage all your senses. So I'd hear the crack of the bat. I'd hear the roar of the crowd. I'd smell the grass. I would never even think about getting an autograph from a player, none of that stuff, because I told myself from eight years old, nine years old, ten years old, I'm going to be on that field someday. So every time I went home, I always imagined an announcer uh, the PA announcer of the Dodgers announcing my name, now batting number 29, Shay Hillenbrand. So fast forward, uh, when I got drafted by the Red Sox in 1996, my sophomore year of college, I proceeded to tell all my friends and my family and everybody close around me, I got drafted by the White Sox. They're like, what? What are you talking about? Like, in college, I told all my friends I got drafted by the White Sox. And they're like, dude, what are you talking about? You got drafted by, like, the most prestigious organization, the Red Sox, you know? New England, Red Sox, Yankees, you know? And I always said two things. Always said two things. It's funny looking back now because it's like, it's like a story or a book, right? So I said, for one, guys, I grew up in Southern California, diehard Dodger fan. I know nothing about baseball outside of Chavez Ravine. And number two... I don't care what socks it is. I'm going to the big leagues. So I reported to my first spring training, and I was hitting uh, extra uh, batting practice after we were practicing. So I stayed in the batting cages late. I'd outwork everybody because I was on a mission to get to the top. So one day the, the minor league director came over to me, and he said, hey, son, i got to talk to you. And I was like, oh, my gosh, man. Like, what did I do? I just got here. And the reason I thought that is because every team I was on, whether it's junior high, high school, junior college, or in the minor leagues, I got kicked off every team. I got kicked off my junior high team, my high school team, like because I had a problem with authority because of my father. And I had a difficult time with that because every time an authoritative situation came up, that was my dad yelling at me, and I couldn't handle it. So I walked over, and, and, and I said, yes, sir, uh, to the minor league director. I said, yes, sir. He's like, uh, Hey, i got to talk to you real quick. He says, you have all the makings to become a major league baseball player and make millions and millions of dollars in the major leagues. I was so green at it. I didn't know what I was doing. I said, just teach me. What am I going to do? So that's the second step I talk to people about is you've got to lay out a plan. So I had this minor league director lay out a plan for me, and I, and I worked my tail off. So that was the hardest part is working your tail off and implementing that plan year after year. So in five years, 
uh, I became player of the year three of the five years in the minor leagues. And that's when I got my shot to play Major League Baseball. In 2001, I'm standing on the field of Baltimore, uh, against the Orioles, and I, I just like, I can't believe I'm here. Because I, they're all, every, all the numbers, all statistics, all the odds were against me. And I was standing out there, and I had mixed emotions. Because I was so excited, I started crying to the National Anthem. I actually started that game my first day in the Major Leagues at third base. And I had mixed emotions because I was like, oh, my gosh, I made it. Like, like the chances of making Major League Baseball is like, like you have a better chance of, you know, winning the lottery. But all the while, I had this pain and hurt inside myself because I just, all I wanted to do was prove my dad wrong and get his approval and his aspiration of just to say, you know what? I'm proud of you. And that never happened. So after seven memorable years, seven memorable years in the major leagues, I was a two-time all-star. I played so many highlights and I made $20 million. And I was sitting at home on my couch between my seventh and eighth year in the off season. And I had just adopted my firstborn son. Excuse me. I just adopted my first son. I have three adopted children. And he was in my arms. And he was 18 months old. And I was trying to have a father-son moment right there. In the prime of my Major League Baseball career, I was getting ready to go to spring training with the Texas Rangers. And I was looking into my son's eyes. And I was like, man, I'm so happy. This, my son's going to have such a bright future. Like, it's like an abundance of joy. And all I was trying to do was connect with that pure agape love and the admiration I had for my son. But at that point in my life, because that story I told myself at 14 years old, I'm not lovable, I'm not good enough, my dad doesn't love me. I couldn't connect with that love and admiration within myself to my son. Sitting there, yes, a major league baseball player, superstar, on TV, you know, everything in the world. I couldn't connect with my son. I, had, I, I couldn't do it. All I can connect to is that shame and that guilt and that pain trying to prove my worth to my father. So what happened? I started to become numb to everything and everybody around me. And I made a decision right there with my son in my arms, nobody else in, around on my couch, proving to be the biggest decision of my life. I quit. I walked away from baseball because I couldn't do it anymore. I was selling my soul to the game, and I couldn't be a father. So I convinced myself if I just come home to be a father to my three beautiful adopted children and purchase a zoo, everything would be great. So I seamlessly made the transition right there in the prime of my career. I, I, I walked away from that childhood dream I had my whole life. I worked my whole life for. I worked harder than anybody else. And I was in the prime of my career. I left $50 million of potential earnings on the table because I hurt so much and I wanted to come home, home and be a dad. So I purchased a horse farm, uh, a 38-acre horse farm, and I accumulated 300 farm and exotic animals. I had camels, kangaroos, llamas, alpacas, monkeys, raccoons, everything. I turned from Major League Baseball player to Steve Irwin. And I quickly became the biggest and baddest place in town. Uh, and I, I quickly became the guy, not the two-time All-Star in the Major League, but the guy that owns Marley Funds. But they came at a cheap price. Yeah, that's my nonprofit foundation that I had. And I still do have, but we switched the mission statement because uh, I'm at a different point in my life. So my nonprofit foundation is called Against All Odds. But at that point in my life, uh, all that came at a steep price. I received my third foreclosure notice on my horse farm. Uh, my marriage was falling apart, 15-year marriage, and I was losing everything in my life. And I was losing all the money I made playing Major League Baseball, the millions and millions of dollars. So I got on my knees one day, one of the houses I owned, and I asked the Lord to take my life. 
And that's the first time he spoke to me in my dreams. He said, pick up your cross and follow me. So I started going to church. I started going that route, doing all that stuff, uh, hanging out with Christians. Uh, I had nothing left in my life. I lost everything in my life. I was riding my son's bicycle, 45 minutes just to go to church once a week, just to try to get through another week. And then my kids are going to school, telling all their friends. The dad played for the Arizona Diamondbacks, and I can't even feed my kids food on the supper table. Because that story I told myself at 14 years old, I'm not good enough, my dad doesn't love me, and I'm not lovable. I started speaking at churches, schools, and prisons, and I started finding balance between my mind, body, and spirit. And, I mean, I spoke in pulpits, I spoke in schools, I spoke in prisons, I transformed people's lives. But I go home at night, and I felt this little pain. I said, I, like, I'm doing this, changing people's lives, but I couldn't help my life. So I really realized that even church, even, even that was just putting a Band-Aid on that pain that I had because the identity I created, my, created with myself. I'm not lovable. I'm not good enough. My dad doesn't love me. So why do I say that? That led me to one night. I'm in the floor of a van. I had nothing left. I'm sleeping in a van about five years ago. And here lies a guy after overdosing on drugs and alcohol because I had nowhere else to turn because I was just trying to numb that pain of what I was going through because I couldn't figure it out. And as the soul's leaving the top of my head, I'm singing under my last breath. The thoughts going through my mind are, you're a loser, man. You lost everything. And just let go. And this van, I was parked outside of my ex-wife's house, and my kids were inside that house, and I couldn't reach them. And I laid there motionless in this van. And as it is, I was grasping under my last breath. I just was tired of fighting the pain-driven game, so I let go. I don't know if I died or if I fell asleep. And shortly after that, a uh, fateful night in the van, uh, the next day I woke up. And uh, by the grace of God, I was still alive because what I did the night before, she either been dead or in the hospital. And uh, the first thought going through my mind was, where's my horse? When you get to the major, when you get to the major leagues, you always have a first purchase. Some people buy mama a house. Some people buy themselves a house. Some people buy themselves a pimping car. I bought myself a horse. And I named this horse Coors Light. It was the first animal of everything that I had of the 300 animals. And that thought went through my mind, and I, cre- I created a good emotion. See, a thought creates an emotion, emotion creates an action, and I took action on that emotion because I just wanted to write a good feeling. So I asked my friend to help me get rid of all my animals at my farm. Displacing 300 animals is very difficult to do, but we did it. And I said, can you help me find my horse? He said, hey, uh, what horse? I said, he said, because I had 56 horses at the time. I said, the horse. He said, Coors Light? I said, yeah. He said, I'll reach out to the, per- I'll find that horse for you. So yeah, I went back to my van that night um, down by the river. Not the, I used to have three mansions, six cars. I mean, I lived the life, man. And uh, he said, I found your horse. And what happened was, uh, pardon me? I said, no kidding. Yeah, yeah, right? So uh, uh, he said, reach out to this person on Facebook, and the person has your horse. And I reached out to this person, and uh, I said, hey, you got my horse. And that person instantly messaged me back. Uh, why? <laughs> because when you adopted the animal from me from my horse farm, my animal rescue, I had you sign a, a, a waiver saying that we had first right of refusal to where if you couldn't keep that animal, you would have to give the animal back to me. And the reason why that person freaked out is the day before I asked that person if they had my horse, that person from Arizona sent that horse to Utah. Mind you, this is four years after I lost my farm. I hadn't thought about this horse in four years. But I reached out to this person, asked about my horse, and that person sent that horse the day before I reached out to him. So the day I went on my deathbed, where I was laying there motionless, that horse went to Utah 
because that person that had that horse for the last four years is going through divorce. And I've laid there for night after night after night for two years, three years, when I was losing everything in my life. And I said, God, bring that person into my life that could just believe me, believe in me and love me unconditionally. And most importantly, bring the person into my life that could be a mother to my three beautiful children that they deserve a mother because their biological and their adopted mother struggle. So long story short, the reason why I tell you that the person that had my horse is my wife today. And it took someone else, by the grace of God, to come into my life after having everything in the world on top of the world for going down to nothing. It took someone else to help me through the process of creating a new identity. And with that new identity, what I'm doing now is I want to use my voice and my story and my gifts and my talents to create a movement. And with that movement, we've created the 2Vs movement, which is Voice to the Voices. We want to inspire people just like you to use your voice to impact the world. Why? Because we have a passion for helping people achieve their goals and their dreams. And we'll do that through transparency. So uh, that's kind of like a, a little recap or a small vision of my story. And uh Hopefully that I was able to resonate with some people. Wow. You have an awesome story, Shay. You have an awesome story. I appreciate you sharing that. That's, that's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. You, have, you said you have adopted kids. Now, how many kids do you have? I have three adopted children. Uh, my oldest is Austin. He's 14. And my second is Dakota. She's 13. And my youngest is Noah. He's 13. So check this out. You want to talk about fathers. I had three kids within 18 months. My two middle, my middle daughter and my youngest son, Dakota Noah, are three months apart, so they're like twins. So when they were all infants, or when they were all, my oldest was a toddler, they were all still in diapers. We visited grandma in Kansas, and this is while I was still playing baseball. And I said, hey, guys, I'm out to set a record today. I'm going to try to set the record for the most diapers changed in one day. And I changed 34 diapers in one day. <laughs> So I don't know if that's a record. It's a record of my books. Every time my kids need a change, I give them to me. So I mastered changing the diaper. And, uh, yeah, so, and then my wife now that, that the Lord brought into my, my wife, my life, uh, my, my wife has we've been married for four years. She has two daughters and they're eight and six. So we have 14, 13, 13, eight and six. So we're kind of like the Brady Bunch. Wow. That's awesome. Have, have you, have, I mean, you said a few, a couple of them know about your baseball career. Is that, is that something that, um, you know, your story, have you shared your story with them? Yeah, yeah. So actually I did a TV show last year, and uh, uh, there was a TV episode on my story, and we actually won an Emmy Award for my story, that episode. Oh, wow. But I'm, I'm 100% transparent with my kids. And I feel bad for my youngest, Noah. Uh, he's, he's, he's the kindest, kindest soul in the world. Every time I go and tell my story, he cries, he tears up because uh, he feels bad for Daddy. But, you know, he knows. I mean, he and I were in a house, uh, a million-dollar house with no electricity, and I put candles on. And uh, my other two kids didn't even want to be, uh, be around because uh, they wanted to go to their mom's house. And Noah, Noah and I would be in this house, and he's like, Dad, are we going camping tonight? And I was like, yes, yeah, we're going camping tonight. You know, and this is a tough, tough pill to swallow. But, uh, you know, that love is unconditional, and our kids just want that unconditional love. They don't care, about, you know, about the materialistic stuff. They just want that unconditional love. Uh, you're you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. What do you um what do you enjoy most about being a dad, Shane? Um <laughs> that's tough to say because I have teenagers now and they drive me nuts. Right. 
no, but uh, and it, and it, does, and think, it doesn't stop. <laughs> I hear you. Uh, what do I enjoy the most is, is being able to be that influence and being able to to navigate. Uh, uh, it's tough because I, I was gone a lot. I was, I, you know, having that mindset uh, of being able to uh, be a peak performer and someone who's had a tremendous amount of success and, and knows what it takes to get there. Uh, but just being able to be present and being able to be there uh, and experience my kids. Like our three daughters are in competitive cheerleading. Uh, so we're, we're, we're pretty involved with that. Uh, so going there and being able to support my daughter, uh, daughters through that process, the two younger ones are different space than the 13 year old and, and being able to find that fine line of pushing them and holding them accountable and loving them and, you know, making them understand to pay attention. So, uh, it's, it's, it's very, it's, it's very rewarding seeing them nourish and grow up and all the hard work because, uh, my mom taught me like with, like with a ton of, like she grew up in the South. So it's, it's may I, it's not, can I, it's you open a door for a girl, a female, or you open a car door for a female or, or, you know, you say yes, sir, or no, sir, or thank you, or all the manner stuff and being able to see my children, being able to train them up and see them go out there and display that stuff, which sets them apart to give them a chance uh, to, to advance in life is that's probably the most rewarding part because people are like, Oh my gosh, your kids are so polite. I'm like, you know how they're supposed to be. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Now when you were, uh, when you were um, in the major leagues, how, how, what was, what kind of challenges did you face in being a dad, especially with adopted kids? I mean, was it hard? Uh, you know, whether they're adopted or not, doesn't matter. Like, uh, but it's just like when you're majorly, like you're never there. And that's the thing that's, that's the thing that's the biggest, crummiest part is you're gone about 10 months, nine months of the year. And I would always be present. I used to have private jets to fly my family with me. And I like when I played in Anaheim for the Angels, Sunday after Sunday day games in Anaheim, well, you know, we take the kids to Knott's Berry Farm or Disneyland and like, I was always there, but I wasn't there. Like I was always present, but I wasn't present because I was focused on playing baseball because if I don't perform that night, I'm not going to have a job. So you have to disconnect from who you are because if you don't disconnect from who you are, it's a distraction. So uh, I do regret a lot of that because now I'm in a position to really understand how to be present and be there uh, for my kids and train them up. And I wasn't able to do that before. So uh, it's kind of like a big thing that, you know, a lot of athletes and successful people struggle with. Uh, yeah, I would agree with that. It's, um, it's one of those things that, like you said, you're, you're never there, but, you know, as much as you can be, uh, you know, especially with technology nowadays, um, it's a little bit easier. I guess you could do, you know, your FaceTime and all that stuff, but, uh, but yeah, all the traveling stuff you do. But that's cool that you were able to take them on trips with you, you know, to 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 games and stuff on the jet. That's that's um, that's kind of special, you know. Yeah, my oldest son, he was on like twenty-seven plane flights, plane flights before he was one. Oh, wow. <laughs> so he was a seasoned vet, and those are all private. But yeah, um, yeah. So uh, and we vacation a lot now, and we're we're involved, but. Uh, I mean, we have five kids, so it's just uh, living the dad's life. It's just balancing that with work and with what we're doing, what I'm doing with my businesses and, and, and being able to be home. Uh, that's the biggest reason why I left Major League Baseball is to, to come home to be a dad. And when I came home to be a dad, I wasn't able to be a dad because I was never present because I was disconnected. 
You know, so it's, it's, it's unfortunate. I think that happens with the amount of men because us as men, you know, we have to provide and we got to disconnect from our emotions or how we feel because, because that's a stigma, right? So if we don't do that, that's not manly, you know? So the, the, the new manly thing, the new power is vulnerability and transparency. That breeds new power because that's, that's being relatable and that's showing, you know, like, like the biggest thing is like if I get into an argument or, or uh, something with my wife or whatever. I mean, I totally believe that's okay to do uh, in front of your children. But what I make a point to do is every time I make a point to apologize and make amends with my wife in front of my kids to, to let them know this is the proper way to handle this situation because there's times where you're not going to get along. That's relationships. That's human beings, you know. So uh, kids are malleable, man. It's crazy how, how, how they can adapt and, and what they do and what they watch. So... Uh, biggest challenge right now is kids going to school and social media and the technology and all that because they get lost in that right. world. Yeah, how do you guys handle that, the social media aspect? I know with me... Simple. I have, take my, take I your phone away. Boys. Right. I have two boys, and they, you know, I think they had phones at the age of 13, um, and it's, it's, it's crazy if you take that phone away how much they feel helpless. They, they feel like they... They're they're without word, you know. They're without uh, don't have any worthy. So, um, yeah, the, the, taking the cell phones away. But I mean, do you monitor what they do? Absolutely. So what happens is what we use is an app, and the app's called uh, Child Locks. Child Locks. So my wife does, but it's an app where you can control what what they could do and what they could do on their phone, and you can monitor it, and you can see all that stuff. My kids get mad, but I don't care. Uh, sorry, dude. Like this is what the rules are. And if you set those roles and they understand that, then, you know, they abide by them and live with them. And sometimes they don't enjoy it or like it. But I explained to them, like my, like my middle son, like Noah right now, uh, we had a neighbor in the neighborhood calling saying that one of the boys that he hangs out with at school is, is vaping. He's been caught vaping three times at 13 years old and, and you know, this and that. And I'm, when he comes home and, hey, dude, you ain't hanging out with that kid no more. Sorry. I don't care. <laughs> right. So, right. Um, and, and, well, that, that's, that's great that you bring that up because, um, when we have conversations with our kids, especially about um, when we have to have tough conversations about certain things that are happening or going on in their circle of friends, how do you how do you guys handle that? Do you do you both do it together? Do you guys do it separately? How, and what kind of conversations do you have with your kids when it comes to uh, um, that kind of stuff? Uh, it's very easy for me. I mean, we got to remember I showered with men for twelve years, so nothing like nothing. I'm not ashamed with anything, so. Uh, <laughs> but uh, play professional sports, you know, you're around 25 grown men. It's just like you've seen it all. You've like been around everything. So half the time, my daughter's like, "Dad, stop!" I'm like, "Dude, if you don't hear from like, you need to hear from me." <laughs> you know, so um, I just straight up have the conversations with them, you know, and and like I don't know, like like I want to be transparent with my kids, and hey, this is where Daddy messed up too. And this is where it was, and. And, you know, I didn't have this when I was growing up, but I want to make sure you have this and understand. And, you know, there's things that you, you're not going to like, but, but my job is to train you up as I love you, but I need to train you up to be equipped to be an adult in this world. And then when I send you out, you've got to be ready. So that's hard because I want to be my kid's best friends. Like, you know, like, like my son came home and said, Dad, can I go to science camp? And I was like, okay, just two questions uh, at science camp in sixth grade. Uh, what is it? And then it's question number two, is it mandatory? He's like, no, it's not mandatory, but the teacher thought it'd be fun. I should go. And I said, no, you can't go because 
he was not getting his grades in another class. And he was the only kid not to go to science camp. Sorry, dude. Like, the rules in my house is you got to pass your classes. I'm not asking you to get straight A's, but you got to pass, and these are the repercussions. Like, I wanted to drive. The reason I tell you that is not to say this is how I parent my kids, but the, what I, the reason I'm telling you that is, like, I wanted to drive to the bank and give a 100 bucks, and I wanted to go. You know what I mean? I want to give them this stuff, and I want to give them that stuff, but it's like you got to have that fine line. you got to draw that line because I'm not going to raise a title yeah, kid. Yeah, <laughs> you know? So. For sure. Now, when it comes to your, your I know you said your your daughters are in gymnastics or um, I mean cheerleading. Sure. Yeah. What yeah. about okay. what about the uh, what about the boys? Are they? Would you be uh, accepting them if they wanted to follow in your footsteps and become a, a baseball player or football player? Yeah. They. Uh, my oldest son's in the video games. He doesn't want to do anything. Uh, <laughs> And, uh, no, my, my middle son, my young, my, my youngest son, but, uh, uh, he said he wanted to play baseball, this and that. And it's, the, the troubles I had is that, like, I could see a swing and I could see, like, I, I got a PhD in hitting a baseball. You know what I mean? Like, I'm the best in the world, you know? So that's the fine line of where, like, like, you want to help? I could fix you and I could do this and I could do that. And we can make you this to get you instant success. But that comes at the risk of, me just loving my son. So I'd be, he'd, I would be coaching this baseball team and we're on the way home from a, a game one day. And I said, what's wrong, dude? Cause I'm not teaching my son any different than I would teach or treat him than the other kids on the team. Cause I don't believe in that. You know, there's no favoritism or whatever. And he turned to me and he started crying. He's like, dad, I don't want to let you down. I said, let me down. Now he thinks he has to live up to my standards because I played Major League Baseball, and he doesn't think he'll be good enough. And I said, son, you'll never let me down. The only way you'll let me down is I call it the ace intangible, attitude, concentration, and effort. And that's all I require for my kids, whatever they do. It's like, dude, that's the only way you'll let me down. If you have a bad attitude, if you don't concentrate, and if you don't give 100% effort, that's the only time I'll get on to you. But if you go strike out 100 times or, or you don't get it, I don't care. Like, I want you to have fun and love, you know. So it's just, it's so hard for a professional athlete to train up a kid and find that fine line because uh, there's so much involved in deeper layers of identity. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, wow, I never thought about it like that, that, that they, they think that they have to live up to your to, to the level that, that their parent achieved. And, uh, yeah. And yeah. I, like, I like what you said, though. It's about your attitude, your effort, and, and I mean, that's, that's awesome. Concentration, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that, that's great. And um, what, uh, when, it, when, it comes to, when it comes to being a dad, I, um, what advice would you give the dads out there, especially guys that are, that are going to be new dads or that are new dads now? What kind of advice would you give them? Man, that's a great question. Thanks for asking that one. And it's just uh, there's, no, there's no rule book. Like, there's, like I, I constantly think I'm failing. And, and I thought hitting a baseball is hard. Hitting a baseball is the hardest thing to do in sports, period. I did that pretty darn good. That's nothing compared to being a dad, to raising kids. You know, it's, it's so hard because, it's like, you know, you want to do right and work line. You're like, there's no each kid differently. Uh, that's the biggest thing is each one's differently and getting to know how they tick, right, know how they function and how to – speak life into each one differently and they're not showing favoritism or whatever, but uh, it's just the biggest thing that I would convey with the experience I have is to be present is to be present because time flies. 
in regards to you make a mistake or in regards to you get frustrated or if you go, you know, something happens, be present. I see so many dads that are, they're going guys nights, you know, drinking or they're going here on this trip, that trip. And it's like, you know, being present is the most important thing ever. Absolutely. Absolutely. I absolutely agree with you on that one. Um, all right. I got one more question for you. It's the hardest question of the, of our, uh, of our chat here. Um, but awesome. I'm ready. Yeah. Yeah, if you had the secret, if you had the secret to raising kids, what would what would that secret be? It would be a, a multi-million dollar secret, and I'd be putting my toes in the sand somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's uh, I'm the wrong person to ask that question. You're exactly right. That is 100% the hardest question, you know. Uh, I, I think the secret is there's no secret because – we're all human beings and everybody learns differently and understanding that and trying to push that. Like that's the biggest challenge for myself is because how I got to the top of having a tremendous amount of success was by outworking everybody, by not giving up, by navigating different ways, by troubleshooting and performing under pressure. And then now like with my kids, look at me like, Hey, what are you talking about? You know? So, um, just, uh, I I don't know. I think I'd just be rambling all day if I if I had to answer that question because I, I, well, no, I don't I think, know. I, know I, I think you, you know that question. It, <laughs> well, no, I think you said it. You said just not giving up. I mean, you just um, you know you said earlier there's no rule book right on on raising kids, and it's just a matter of being present and not giving up. Just keep keep going at it, and no matter how hard it is, you're going to have challenges. Everybody's going to raise kids their way. There's not going to be one set way you raise kids, but how you do it and how you, how you're, you're, you give it your all and keep trying your best being present. I mean, you, you said all the right things. I mean, those, those are all, those are all the secrets to raising kids for sure, especially raising good kids. Those are the secrets. So, um, no, you hit the nail on the head, Shay. You really did. Yeah. Thank you. Um, thank you. Okay. Yeah, that's, that's, that's it. That's all I got. I appreciate you um, taking the time out of your day, brother. I really do. Um, I'm certainly Absolutely. glad we connected. And uh, I, I appreciate our friendship. I know we've known each other for a few months now. And, and uh, um, one of these days when I get out to, uh, to Arizona again, we're going to have to have some lunch together. Vice versa. Yeah, we'll figure it out there as well. So I love yeah. that. And I love to stay in contact. And you're doing great things. So I look forward to seeing what the future holds for you because you got uh, – you're, you're, you're the it man. You're the all-star in the dad world. So. Oh, I appreciate that, man. Appreciate that. Absolutely, buddy. All right, brother. Um, I'll let you, uh, I'll let you get on with your day. I really appreciate it again. Thank you very much. And, um, I'll chat with you soon. All right. All right. Take care, buddy. Thank you so much. Once again, a special thank you to Shay Hillebrand for taking the time out of his day to chat with me and share his truly amazing story with all of us. He's a stand-up guy and represents the dad-up community very well. Thank you, as always, for listening to the show. And as I said before, if you haven't subscribed, please make sure you do so so you don't miss any of the shows. I have some awesome guests lined up, such as a fellow podcast guru that is making a name for himself with his very popular podcast and also a professional bodybuilder. So I'm really looking forward to sharing those with you. Also, please make sure to rate the show and share the show with others. If you have comments questions or would like to be a guest on the show, please let me know. You can you can message me on my Instagram page at Coach B Ward or you can email me 
at daduptribe at gmail.com. As always, I'm your host, Brian Ward, and I truly thank you. This is Dad Up.